Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, a Teen Mom Deep Dive podcast. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hi, everyone. How are you? Are we good? First of all, I want to say thank you to everybody who was so nice last week uh, after I talked about how nervous I was for starting grad school. And I just want to say to everyone, my first week went really, really well. I was able to get all of my required reading done for a week, which definitely uh, like eased my anxiety a little bit. I was very nervous about the reading aspect of it um, because I haven't had to commit time like that to anything almost ever in my life. So once I was able to get that all done with like, like by the end of my classes are Tuesday and Wednesday, Tuesday night and Wednesday night. And I think I was done all my required reading by Sunday night or Monday, like during the day. So I was able to get it all done in a reasonable time, which definitely helped. I was like, okay, I can do this. Um, And then I was, of course, like just so nervous about the Zoom aspect and I just wasn't sure what to expect. And all the classes on Zoom went really well. I have a class Tuesday night and then two classes on Wednesday, but the nice thing is my second class on Wednesday, the professor absolutely is not interested in being on Zoom from 7 to 10 and is only going to have hour and a half Zoom sessions. (laughs) So that's really nice. That's really, really nice. The other nice thing is when my class ends, you know, I I wish it was going to be on campus because it is missing like a big of social element not being on campus like being able to talk to the people in your classes before and after class is definitely going to be a like something that's missing from the experience but I will say when class ends at 10 and I only have to walk from the office to my bedroom that's pretty nice because <laughs> if I was on campus I probably realistically wouldn't be getting home to like 10 45 between talking after class and going to my car and then driving the 20 minutes home so that is good Um, And the classes went well. The Zoom format works pretty well, I'd say. It's not perfect, but it works pretty well. And yeah, I feel good. I feel confident. I have, like, after looking at all the assignments that I have, I think I'll be able to do well as long as I commit to the time that it takes. The thing is, is that I you know, have always been a procrastinator, have always been someone that crams everything into the last night um, that just like doesn't do that well in school because of it. Um, There was one short period in my school years when I was like, in my college years when I was doing well, I must have been at like an okay point in my life. And then quickly it went back to just like being awful. And so I am going to try really hard to just like dedicate my time to doing this. And as long as I do that, I think I'm going to be able to do pretty well. I've just never, (laughs) surprised if you dedicate time to school, you'll do well. I just have never looked at school that way, which is a problem. (laughs) So yeah, there's that. So thank you everyone for all your well wishes. Next. I mean, there's nothing else for me to say about myself, but let's talk about Teen Mom. So there are two like current Teen Mom stories I want to talk about. Now, by the way, Teen Mom 2 starts on Tuesday, I think. So I'm going to start covering Teen Mom 2. That's exciting, I guess. We'll see. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I feel like my voice is very, very raspy this morning. Hey, guys, I want to add in a quick trigger warning here. I'm about to talk about um, 
sexual assault of children. So if you do not want to hear this, skip ahead to about seven minutes. Okay, um, first is that Lori from 16 and Pregnant, who I did an episode on less than a month ago, who I had not thought about in years, probably since her episode had aired back in like 2011. I've not thought of her in so long. Lori um, was arrested for child pornography this week. 20 counts. Apparently, she had access to a Dropbox link. Uh, yeah, that's, I, I don't even like know what to say. First of all, I would like to say thank you to my friend Fiona, who told me about the phrase childhood sexual or child sexual assault materials as a more progressive way to say child pornography. Um, because I think sometimes people can look at, I mean, deranged people, but they do, Uh, child pornography as something that is victimless because the person that's viewing it isn't actually like in person with that child, right? But the reality is, is anytime anybody views um, child pornography, they are sexually assaulting a child. Um, So yeah, childhood sexual assault material, I believe is what it is. Hold on, let me double check. Just kidding. I looked it up. It's child sexual abuse material. It's not as catchy as child pornography, and the acronym is not as catchy as CP, but I do definitely think that it's it's a good phrase because it just reminds the person that's saying it or talking about it that every single view of it is somebody assaulting a child. I think it's a good phrase. But yeah, I am deeply disturbed. I guess we'll find out more what how involved Lori was. I mean... I guess best case scenario is that she is dating somebody and who is using her phone or computer to access the Dropbox link. But even that's not good because she has kids. So I don't know. There's nothing really else to say about it except like how disturbing and truly shocking it is. You know, it's just truly, truly shocking to find. I mean, but if we're just blunt, it's like truly shocking anytime a woman is in trouble for things like this. It just is. It just is really shocking, um, which is how women perpetrators are able to get away with it because we just don't expect this of women, but we expect it of men. Anyway, I hope Lori's children are safe. I have read that apparently Lori's parents are raising her children, which, you know, goes to show why they did not want her to have a baby in her 16 and pregnant episode. Now they're raising two of her kids at an even older age. Ugh, just what a nightmare of a situation. But I hope that her children are okay and that an appropriate punishment will be uh, handed down for her because it's just one of the most heinous things that you can do. So let's switch gears off of that, shall we? (laughs) That dark, 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 dark news. Okay, the other thing that I wanted to talk about before I get in today's episode is Mackenzie McKee got on Instagram the other day, did a little AMA, and she said that she is moving to Florida, specifically in the Sarasota area, uh, next week. (laughs) She's doing this without Josh, apparently, just her and the kids. Now, one, I will say uh, moving to Florida at the beginning of September is a really bad time to move to Florida because it is the height of hurricane season. Um, It's already been pretty active in the Gulf. If you guys saw two hurricanes came up the Gulf last week, only one of them, you know, made contact as a hurricane and 
in Louisiana, it's horrific. The damage that it did, it hit as a Category 4 hurricane. But if you are moving to Florida, I would suggest waiting until mid-October to move. You know, move between like mid-October and early July. Uh, it's just not it's just not a great time to move to Florida <laughs> in September, especially the beginning of September. So, yeah, that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is there's also, you know, a pandemic going on in Florida is still a hot spot. So there's that aspect of it. Third, I am extremely worried for Mackenzie. First of all, I guess it's good her and Josh aren't together. I, are they? Are they not together? She says they're not together. And if she's moving without him, like, I guess they're not. I kind of wonder, though, if she's, like, not actually moving and she's just threatening Josh that she's going to move and waiting for him to, like, make a grand statement promising her that he'll be the perfect husband that she wants and then she won't move. That's kind of my first guess. My second guess would be maybe she's met somebody there. Um, That would be good, you know, <laughs> If she's, I mean, it wouldn't be good to like just move your children somewhere because you met someone, but it would be good if she met someone that's not Josh. Uh, so maybe that's happening. But if neither of those things are true and she's just decided to move there, I know she's been there a couple times. I guess she must have some friends there. Um, I think that this is an incredibly bad decision. Um, there's, it, it is semi-impulsive, right? Like I would be curious to know how long she's been planning this. But considering she has not spoken about it before and as of, you know, when did her and Josh break up again? Was that June or July when the cheating stuff came out? She had not been planning on moving then. So even in the best, the best case scenario, she's only been planning this for a month or two, which is, you know, if you are just 25 and live in La Vida Loca, like you feel free to pick up and move in a month. Go you. But when you're bringing three young children along with you, it's really worrying. I don't think she's going to last there very long. Um, I think that Mackenzie is doing what we call in the rooms a geography change, which is you are convinced that the reason that you are having issues, whether it be drug addiction, which is or alcoholism, which is what it's usually referred to in, you know, in the rooms of AA. Um, or you're having depression issues or just what any like mental health issues. The idea that the, the reason that you're having these issues is because of where you live and the people that are around you. And if you move, those problems will be solved because the only issue you're really having is that you live in this small town and you don't want to live here anymore. Um, and the unfortunate thing is that that never works. Well, I mean, sure. I'm sure it sometimes works. <laughs> I'm sure it has worked. Uh, but the reality is, is that, you know, wherever you go, there you are. You bring yourself with you when you move. And if you are not moving and also planning on doing the internal work that it takes to make a change, then you're just going to move and bring your depression with you. You know, somebody on my Instagram was like, yeah, if you can't get out of bed in Oklahoma, you probably won't be able to get out of bed in Florida. And that basically sums it up. Like, moving is not going to change your depression issues. Like, maybe for a minute, for a minute, because you're, like, excited and kind of high off the excitement of moving, but then all of the same shit that's always been upsetting you is going to come back because it didn't go away. So unless you're like moving and you're planning on then starting therapy and going on new meds and 
doing this, that, and the other thing to like really change what's going on in your head, just moving alone is not going to solve that. Um, I think that this happens to a lot of people. I think that Mackenzie is like kind of the perfect example. Somebody who's lived in a small town her whole life. She has a lot of depression issues and she has like a terrible husband that's there. And she just thinks like, well, if I move, everything will get better. And I just don't think that's going to happen. I also think the reality is, is that Mackenzie has three kids and she will be a single parent. And it's incredibly hard. I think we all know for most people to make friends as an adult in the first place, like the older you get, the harder it becomes to make friends, right? I don't have any kids, but I would imagine that when you have three kids, it's even more limiting because you can't just like go out and meet people whenever you want. Um, I guess in some ways, maybe it makes it easier because you can be friends with other kids' parents in some cases. But I mean, having three kids makes almost everything harder, right? Because you have three little humans that are dependent on you to survive. <laughs> so that takes up a big chunk of your time. Um, I've seen a lot of comments. Okay, I, I need to address this. I've seen a lot of comments where people are like, um, well, you know, her family is so awful and her family has just held her back this whole time. So good. She'll move there and she won't have to be around her awful family. Okay, I want to talk about this. Was Mackenzie's mom harsh and unfair on her and mistreated her? Yes. Are her siblings misguided when it comes to Josh? Yes. Is her family full of bad people? I really do not think so. Um, I don't think people that just watched this show and have not been following Mackenzie for the last however old Gannon is, seven years, realize how much Mackenzie's family has done for her. While there are negative aspects to her family, and I do believe she needs better boundaries with her family, and I do believe that her family needs to leave her alone when it comes to her decisions with Josh, absolutely. I'm not defending her family there, and I'm not saying they are perfect, but I am not on board with this Mackenzie's family so evil narrative that people have adopted <laughs> because of what we've seen in like five episodes of her being on Teen Mom. Um, the reality is, is that her siblings and her parents, and now just her father, have done a large amount of childcare for Mackenzie. Over the years, any time that you would see Mackenzie by herself, it's because her either her mom or her sisters had those kids. Um, her siblings babysit for her all of the time. The reason she's able to go to the gym so much is because she works out in a gym that's in a garage of one of her siblings, and then the kids can go in the house and be watched by her sibling. I think it's one of her sisters that has that family gym. It might be her brother, but I think it's one of her sisters. Her siblings constantly are watching her kids. Her sisters are her best friends, even if it is a little dysfunctional. So I don't know how Mackenzie is going to pick up and move away from them and um, do childcare essentially completely by herself. When you have had a large network, so between her three sisters, her parents, like, and I think Josh's parents watch the kids a lot too. That's like five different people that you regularly having watch your kids. I mean, to have five reliable people that you can call on to watch your children whenever you need them is a, it's huge. It's a huge amount of people. Most people do not have a network that strong. And Mackenzie does. The reason Mackenzie's been able to have three kids is because her mom was watching those kids like a lot of the time, especially Gannon. I mean, Mackenzie and Josh lived with her parents until like two years ago. You know, like 
she lived with her parents almost the whole time that she's had these kids. She's only been living on her own for a couple of years. And in that time, her parents and her siblings still helped her out a lot. And I'm not saying like Mackenzie's a piece of shit because her parents and her sister helped her out. No, I think it's incredible that Mackenzie has such a strong support system. And while they are not perfect, they are very helpful to her. And if you just watch the show, I don't think you see that aspect of it um, because they don't really go into it. But if you've been following Mackenzie on Snapchat for five years like I have, you would see this and you would know how much her sisters, her mom, Josh's parents did for her when it came to the kids. So that's like a big part of it. And I personally don't believe that Mackenzie has been held back because of her mom and her sisters. I keep seeing that narrative. Like I said, do I think they are perfect? No. Do I think they have encouraged her to make some bad choices? A hundred percent. Absolutely. You can listen to my episodes where I talk about it. Mackenzie has been held back because she had three kids by the time she was 21 years old. (laughs) And she got married when she was like 18. (laughs) That's why Mackenzie has limited options. And I need people to remember that. She was, I believe, 21 when her third child was born. That is why her life has been so limited. Not because of her mom, not because of her siblings, not because people should stay with Josh. Because she has three children by a very, very young age, which makes it almost impossible to move or live an independent life. Right? (laughs) It makes it very, very, very hard to do that. And I don't really see how Mackenzie is just going to be able to move to Florida and start from scratch. I mean, I don't know. Maybe she does have like this super strong support network down there. And I I hope she does if she's making this plunge. But I don't really see, you know, she's like, I'm going to concentrate on Body by Mac. I'm going to lead live classes. And I'm like, where are your kids going to be when you do this? I mean, when they're, I don't think Bronx is in school full time yet. I think he's only three. But let's say he goes to daycare, fine. But like nights, weekends, like where are you going to be able to do this all by yourself? And from what I've seen in Mackenzie's, I do not think that's going to be easy for her. Now, she could totally kill it. And I hope she does for her sake. I would, I mean, I hope Mackenzie moves to Florida and she no longer has a ton of the issues that she had and she's able to flourish and her kids are able to flourish and she can meet somebody who actually is worthy of being married to and she could build a business and like have in-person fitness classes. But I think that she is probably underestimating how hard it's going to be. It's hard enough to move as an adult when you are single and childless, you know? So to do it with three kids is a really big move. And I'm not sure Mackenzie, who has never really left her extremely small bubble that is very small, but very supportive of her. Um, I'm just not sure if she knows what she's getting into doing this. So my best bet is if the move actually happens, that it will not be for very long. I would guess like two to six months and then she'll be back. I've seen that happen a lot of times. I've seen people do shit like that a lot. Um, I also think that an impulse move when you have three children is pretty worrying. Um, I'm a little worried about what her uh, current state is, you know, her current mental health state when she's making this decision. Um, Yeah, so I hope that this is Mackenzie's chance to change her life. I hope that she decide or I hope that she like puts in the work when she gets there and builds a support system and works on the mental health stuff and gets her kids into a great school and all of that like I hope she's able to be 
do all of that. But I worry that she probably, because I know Mackenzie's extremely immature, I know she's probably not foreseeing that and like is fully understanding the scope of the enormity of what it means to move you and three small children across the country. <laughs> so yeah, that's my thoughts on it. Mackenzie, I hope you I hope you are okay, but I am personally very worried for her. Okay, I am going to get into the main episode right after a quick break. Okay, so to continue on on my Matt and Amber journey, well, first of all, yesterday I was like, what episode should I do for this week? You know, I have to do a throwback one. I am still kind of thinking a ton about Matt and Amber. What should I do? What should I do? I'm looking through the episodes and nothing is really sparking my interest. And then I had what I consider to be a brilliant thought was I am going to cover an episode of Marriage Boot Camp that Matt and Amber were on. I actually ended up watching two episodes. In the second one I watched, I only took notes on what Matt and Amber were doing. And I am going to talk about it. I watched this whole season when it was on air, which is, I think, the only season I've like watched front to back. I First of all, not just because Matt and Amber were on it, but I was actually familiar with everybody who was on the cast that year. Um, it also featured Renee Graziano and her two sisters, Jen and Lana. Um, Jim Jones and Chrissy from Love and Hip Hop New York were on there with his mom, Nancy. They were the only ones that I like didn't know well because I famously do not watch Love and Hip Hop because I don't like that they stand during the interviews. And that's the line that I have to have with reality shows. <laughs> I watched like the first season and a half of Love and Hip Hop Atlanta because I just was like, everybody likes the show. Like I need to get into this. And I just, the standing during the interviews was just very jarring to me. <laughs> I just didn't like it that much. So I never really got into it, but I know who Jim Jones is. I know who Chrissy is. Like I read about reality shows and listen to podcasts about reality shows, including Love and Hip Hop. So I know about them, but like they were the ones that I knew the least. But I mean, they were they were still in my lexicon of pop culture. Brandy Glanville, obviously, who I know very well, and her father, Guy, were also on this show. And then um, Matt, Amber, and her mom, Tanya. So that to me was really appealing because I knew most of the people that were on this. Of course, you guys know I'm a huge Mob Wives head. So Renee and Matt and Amber being on one season together, I was like, I'm fucking in. And then Brandy was just a special treat. And I'm honestly, Jim and Chrissy were my favorite. Jim, Chrissy, and his mom, I guess. She was just okay. But Jim and Chrissy were definitely my favorite people that were on this season. After watching the whole season, I found them to be the most endearing. I do... I do feel bad for Chrissy. I can't figure out. Okay, so just a little background. Jim Jones, the rapper, I'm sure you know his music from the mid 2000s when he was quite popular and we were all listening to him, uh, has been with this woman, Chrissy, for many, many years. Uh, she, according to Love and Hip Hop, and then I believe they had a spinoff show, she wants to marry him and he does not want to marry her. He just likes living with her and being with her. Eventually, she proposed to him, and he said yes. And as of 2020, they are still not married. Um, I can't figure out how much Chrissy actually wants to get married because 
she's still with him. So obviously it's not a bottom line for her, you know, like they're still together. Or if this is just like what she knew, what they knew could get them a spinoff show, could get them a marriage boot camp. Like they realized that the will they, won't they actually get married thing got them a lot more press than just like agreeing to get married or being like, we don't want to get married. Um, So I can't tell how real that is, but Chrissy and Jim's mom, who they call mama on this show, uh, they, yeah, they call her mama. Her name is Nancy. Do not like each other. Do not get along. So that's the big drama with them. And I definitely found them to be the most um, real out of all the couples on this show. I found them to be the most like when they were watching it to definitely be the most um like Greek chorus because constantly like things would happen and they would flash to the talking head of the three of them and they'd be like that bitch is crazy (laughs) so I definitely came away liking them the most um Renee was her normal crazy self on this show I did think it was interesting that she was going to be on with her sister Jen because for those that don't know Jen Graziano Renee's sister is the creator and like showrunner of Mob Wives And I always found that to be very, very interesting because when Renee is losing her fucking mind on Mob Wives, Jen is the one like approving that it airs. Um, Jen's like their father would not talk to Jen and Renee for quite a while. If not, I don't know if he and Jen ever reconciled because they were doing the show. Um, I thought that they would get a lot more into that, but I guess because they were on a reality show, maybe they just didn't want to talk about the reality show that much not sure I'm not sure exactly why they didn't get into it as much as I wanted them to get into it I thought there would be a lot of like Renee blaming Jen for making her look like an idiot on TV but Jen was actually like the the non-drama one and all the dramas between Renee and her sister Lana Lana had gotten in trouble for embezzling money at one point and I guess felt like Renee wasn't there for her and her, the two of them just have a lot of drama. I will say it's very interesting to watch the Graziano sisters talk about their father. For those that don't know, if you don't watch Mob Wives, you should watch it. First, first and foremost, like you should just go watch Mob Wives. <laughs> just go watch Mob Wives. That's what you should be doing. But Renee's father is, his name is Anthony Graziano. He went by TG, Tony Graziano, I'm assuming. And he was very high up in the Gambino family, whatever the one um, Sammy the Bull and John Gotti were part of. I believe the Gambino family. He was high up in it, like a capo or something. You know how they have like the military ranks. I don't know exactly how high up in it, but he was quite high up in it. Um, He was well known as a gangster around Staten Island and in the city. He had been arrested multiple times. He, when we start with mob wives, he is in prison. He eventually gets out of prison. I still think he wasn't talking to Renee at that time because I remember June, her son, um, Anthony Jr., right? That's his name? No, not, it's not Anthony Jr. Yeah. What is it? Oh my God, I'm having a blank. Hold on. I need to look up his name. Okay, yes. His name is Anthony John. They call him AJ because it's Anthony John. They always call him AJ. Her son AJ goes over to see grandma and grandpa and Renee's like asking about him. Now, famously, (laughs) truly one of the best real life drama moments to ever, ever happen on reality TV. 
Renee for um, like 15 years, I think, was married to this guy that they called Junior. Junior was never a full mobster, I believe. I don't think Junior's Italian. I think Junior might be Puerto Rican. Yeah, his name is Hector Pagan Jr. They call him Junior. I believe he is uh, Latino. I shouldn't say he's Puerto Rican because I actually don't know. I feel like I've heard that, but I can't remember for sure. So he was never like a made man because you can't become a made man unless you were fully Italian, as we learned from the movie Goodfellas, or at least you couldn't back then. I don't know. Does the mob even still exist really as it did? Not so much. It's very different now. It's harder to be a mobster now. Like, it's harder to get away with being a mobster. I know it exists, but not the same that it used to. Um, So Renee had this ex-husband, Junior. They broke up years before uh, the show started. He's Junior's father, but they would always go back and forth. Um, When in season one, anytime that anybody would, like, fuck with Renee, she'd be like, I'm going to call my ex-husband, and Junior would show up, even though Junior was, like, in a long-term relationship with someone else. It was a whole mess. And in season one, Junior gets arrested. It's a great moment. Like, I can't believe they're filming. Renee is screaming and crying and flipped, and Junior, or AJ's just like, Mom, shut the fuck up. I don't care. It's so, (laughs) it's iconic. It's really incredible. If you have not watched seasons like one, two, and three of Mob Wives, like, I need you to go watch them. (laughs) So Junior gets arrested, and then he gets out, and he gets a pretty short or, like, lenient sentence, and nobody really thinks twice about it. Then it comes out, this is a real-life thing that happened, not just on the show, it comes out that Junior took a a deal agreeing to um, turn on Renee's father, T.G., because he obviously is still very close to the family. Um, that's why he was able to be like a mob associate because he was married to Renee and Renee's father was very high up. And he, <laughs> by the way, it's not the Gambino family. It's the Bonono, Bonona, Bonono crime family. Um, so he agreed to basically testify, but not just testify, like Uh, record conversations with TG. What the feds did was they gave him a watch that had a microphone in it. Some high tech shit. And there's even an episode, this is so crazy, where so Renee, so basically Junior comes home and he pretends like he wants to get back with Renee. And we watch like a whole season of him being at the house, them being together, Renee saying that they're going to be together. And at one point, they give Anthony, AJ, AJ and Renee give Junior a watch and he is like weird about it and he doesn't really wear it and Renee's like kind of mad at him for not liking the watch but he couldn't wear it because he had to wear the watch from the feds. (laughs) So this whole time he like basically pretends to get back with Renee so that he can get in close with Renee's father again. Renee's father was out of prison for the first time in many years and then it comes out. It all came out. And they have it on camera. They have Renee's reaction to finding this out on camera. It is it is next level insane. And Renee's whole thing is that she hates rats. I hate rats. Rats, 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 rats. And like hates Karen Gravano because her father is Sammy the Bull, obviously the most notorious rat of all time. Um, <laughs> so when her ex-husband becomes a rat, it's just... It's really incredible. The family dynamics there is really incredible. And just the fact that they got that on camera, something so real, like that shit is so real what happened and that they were able to get that on camera is just 
Okay, so that's my mob wives talk. <laughs> so, yeah, Renee, Lana, and Jenna are on the show. And Brandy and her dad have this, like, weird fucked up relationship in which I came away from this season. I've said this on this podcast multiple times. I came away from that season feeling like Brandy and her dad have sex. I don't know how you could watch the season and draw any other logical conclusion. I suggest you guys watch this. It's really easy. I think it's like eight episodes and they go by so fast. I definitely suggest you watch this and let me know if you also think that Brandy and Guy have sex. It's very bizarre. Uh, the Apparently Guy was like this hippie pot dealer when they were gro- when she was growing up and Guy would walk around the house naked and then his revenge Brandy's always like acting out sexually in front of him and at one point she's like mad at Guy so she starts like she lifts up her shirt and is like flashing everybody else flashing Jim and Chrissy obviously did not like this um she's like flashing the other men at the table in order to like get back at her dad because her dad's thing is that he doesn't like that she posed nude it's very bizarre (laughs) The two of them are very, very bizarre together. I do not know what to make about them, except that there is real sexual tension between the two of them. And then, of course, there's Matt, Amber, and Tanya. Now, when I found out they were going on with Tanya, Amber's mom, I was like, okay. Oh, by the way, they only went on, if you guys will remember, because David, Janelle, and Barbara were supposed to go on, which, like, Uh, I cannot believe we didn't get that was too loud should I cut that out (laughs) the spike on my computer is jarring um but they were supposed to go on and Janelle got pregnant so they did not want them in the house understandably they just like did not want that liability this was before David had gone totally off the deep end I mean we knew he was like crazy we knew he was an abuser but he had not gone full like white power Dave at that point so the three of them were supposed to be on it and I am like devastated that we do not have that I deserved that I deserve that and when they couldn't go on um last minute they brought in Matt Amber and Tanya who actually had been asked in the past and they had turned it down which is when Farah and her parents went on I've also watched I didn't watch a whole season, but I have watched um, like clips of them on it. And if you are curious, also Javi and Kale went on Marriage Boot Camp, just the regular version, the non-family version. But they went on after they had already broken up, <laughs> which was weird. So Matt, Amber, and Tanya go into the Marriage Boot Camp house. If you do not know the format of Marriage Boot Camp, it's basically originally started, of course, with just couples. It was based, it was like a ripoff that we tv was doing i believe of vh1's couples therapy which caitlin and tyler have been on and Farah was also on famously by herself couples therapy also did a family edition in which brie Brittany, and roxanne went on and that's where roxanne revealed on national television that Brittany's uh father was not actually her biological father <laughs> that brie and Brittany actually did not have the same biological father and roxanne revealed that on television, which is, I mean, pretty iconic. So um, Marriage Boot Camp is just, obviously, they bring a bunch of celebrities. We use that word loosely, of course, because no real celebrities would ever go on this show. And they put them in a house and they all fight with each other and they fight against each other and they have to do all of these therapy exercises, which are like not therapy exercises. Like one of them is in this season... (laughs) One of them in this season is like, 
I'm sure they do this in most seasons, but I haven't watched a ton of seasons of this show, just random episodes before this one. They have um, like attack dogs, like German shepherds, like trained attack dogs come and the family has to decide which family member is going to put on like the attack dog suit and let the dog like run from the dog and then let the dog attack them. <laughs> like show who's willing to make the sacrifice. And Brandy actually gets hurt during it because the dog like knocks her down so hard that she hits her head. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's just ridiculous. Or like other therapy exercises are... You know, they put two of them in a rowboat. One of them who has the oars is blindfolded and the other one has to give them directions. But they also like so those are kind of like light and fun, right? Like not fun, but they're like light. They're not actually damaging anyway. Like the most that it's going to produce is the families yelling at each other. And then there's also a lot of downtime in the house in which these couples and family members like start fighting with each other like the different couples are fighting with each other so there's this double element of like the couples fighting with one another and then also people in the house fighting with non-family or non-coupled people so there's like two things going on at once which is fun I like that I like the double drama of it um and like people that have been on this for example are like couples from The Bachelor Alex and Simon from Real Housewives in New York, they may have gone on couples therapy, the real version. But just like D-list couples, they just did a version of what they're calling marriage boot camp, the hip hop season, which really means like it's all black people. But I guess they didn't want to call it the urban season. I believe that season is over and I'm going to probably just buy it on Amazon and watch it because Phaedra Parks is on that season. I've just been meaning to watch it. So maybe I'll do that this weekend when I'm not doing homework. So yeah, I really like... This season was actually very fun to watch. Renee has like a very serious drug addiction that she's always like in and out of. You know, she's like going to rehab all the time. She's an alcoholic and she's addicted to like prescription pills like Xanax. So at one point, like Brandy gives her a Xanax, not really realizing because Renee comes in and asks her for one. So Brandy's like, yeah, you can have it. Like not realizing the seriousness of it. So there's lots of fighting about Renee being a drug addict and relapsing. Um, at one point, Matt reveals Amber is on a medicine that they bleep out. And Brandy's like, she's not sober if she's on that shit. Like, what are you guys talking about? Brandy really does not like Matt and Amber. She spends the whole time being like, this is bullshit. Like, you two are both you two are both liars. You are both crazy. Um, you are like saying you're sober, but you're not. Like, Brandy's constantly calling them out, which is interesting and fun to watch because Brandy doesn't truly does not give a fuck. And Brandy also knows why she's on TV, um, which is a good and a bad thing sometimes. And it's a good thing when you're watching a show like this and she is just like amping up the drama by fighting with everybody. So that's like where we are. They do a lot of dumb exercises which are not that serious but then the episode that I watched I picked this one because it's like an examination of childhood trauma and then I kept watching for the next one because the next one is like listing out all of the things you hate about yourself so I was like okay good this is like the real shit um first of all I found this episode the childhood trauma one to be very irresponsible I know that they always do this apparently it's a thing that they always do but the reality is, is that Renee has very serious mental health issues and drug addiction issues. 
Brandy has her shit, but I don't know if she's ever like been diagnosed with anything. But as we know, Amber has borderline personality disorder and bipolar disorder. And obviously they are aware of this and they'll like mention it in the sh- like in the show, like the doctors. There's two doctors that lead this show, a man named Dr. Ish. And I need to find the woman's name. OK, the woman's name is Venus, her first name, but they call her Dr. V. Venus is kind of a cool first name. I will say that. So the woman, Dr. V, and the man, Dr. Ish, and they are, like, very serious and, like, act like this is truly the most serious thing that's ever happened, which is a funny layer to this show because, like, obviously nobody is being actually helped on this show. So I just find it very irresponsible that they would let Amber come in the house in the first place. I understand that they're pretending this is a therapy-based show. Renee, too, probably, to be honest. Um, I think... I think ethically, and we know we can't get into the ethics of reality TV here. We would have to stop watching all of it. But I think ethically, you should be a person in stable mental health. Like, you should have to be a person without any serious personality disorder diagnoses and, like, in a stable position to come into the house because these some of the exercises they can do can trigger real mental health issues. And it's just really, I just find it very irresponsible that they would let Amber come on this show. It's really worrying. So when Matt, Amber, and Tanya come in, the interesting thing is that Amber and Tanya both come in without their medicine. It's very bizarre. I could not figure out what was going on when this show first started. So Marriage Boot Camp is only filmed over, I believe, 10 days. So it's not like they were going for a long time and couldn't get their medicine As a, um, you know, drug addict myself and somebody that's been on medicines for a very long time, if I was ever going to be a way, I could always get the farm, my insurance to approve like more meds filled so that I would be fine when I was there. Even for controlled substances, I was able to do that. (laughs) Yeah, it's not great. But I was like when I was going to Israel for two weeks, like I had to call and make sure that I could have like a refill of my script early so that I would not run out of meds while I was there. And I couldn't understand why these women traveled to California without enough medicine to last them. So they are both like instantly in withdrawal for medicine and they're saying it's like their mental health medicine. Which obviously, if you do not take your SSRIs or whatever you are on every day, like you will feel like shit. Like you have withdrawal from antidepressants and like mental health, like non-abusable mental health drugs you have withdrawal from. And so maybe it was that. But I, I don't know. They had, they were both sick in bed for like the first two or three days while they waited for their medicine to get there. It was really weird. Really, really weird. And I kind of wonder if both of them were abusing drugs that they couldn't bring into the house. Um, And then they ordered them medicine. Maybe they brought like a a doctor in without telling us and got them scripts so that they could get through filming because they were both like in bed, like dope sick is what it looked like. It was very bizarre. Very, very bizarre. I could not figure it out. Both Amber and Tanya. It was so weird. So Tanya slurs this entire show it's she seems fucked up at all times like not just like a little maybe like a little what I would call shot out from years of like being addicted to shit but like 
she is fully slurring all of her words this entire season. She is seems really out of it. Um, just it's really weird to watch. Amber is on Rage 10. Now, if you guys will remember, you probably don't remember this, but I remember this because I am a loser. I am me. Oh, by the way, I forgot to start at the beginning of the episode with this. I'm taking human development in one of our papers that's worth 40% of our grade is that we are to take a pop culture figure, real or fake, and write about um, the, like their lifespan development. And I told my teacher I was going to do Janelle from Teen Mom. And she was like, that's perfect. That's great. I'm going to fucking crush that. I'm going to crush that. Uh, okay. <laughs> so really, guys, I am getting my master's in Teen Mom. I've always said I had a PhD in Teen Mom, and I really am on my way to that. <laughs> uh, so before Matt and Amber went into the house, they were broken up pretty much. This was an Amber was like going on live Instagram live and just like screaming into the mic. And I was like genuinely worried she was going to hurt herself on Instagram live at this point. She would just like like I would always describe it as her head would like separate from the rest of her body out of anger. <laughs> like her head would actually be floating next to her neck because she would just be screaming on Instagram live and they would always lag and somebody would be like, your internet sucks. And she'd be like, I have the best fucking internet. Like, she was in a really, really, really bad place. This is post the lie detector test. This is just like when when things have gone bad. And her and Matt were basically on the verge of broken up. And I do believe when he when they get back is when Matt takes that backpack full of cash and hightails off, it, hightails off to Vegas and they are not together anymore. I guess they stayed together to, like, make it through the show because obviously they get paid a decent amount of money to be on this show. I don't know exactly how much it is, but I would imagine fifty dollars to $100,000 for this season for each person, um, which is, <laughs> please give me $50,000. Please. I would like $50,000, please. I would like that. So yeah, that's where Matt and Amber are. Um, so most of the season, people find Matt to be very sneaky, shady. They can tell that Matt is a liar. The stuff with his kids comes out. Um, there, Amber does make allegations that she, he abused her. So there's like a lot. People are not trustworthy of Matt. People do not like Matt. They find him to be like really conniving. However, Amber is on a 10 this entire season. Like, actually, she's on an 11. Her rage is truly out of control to the point where you can tell that people in the house are um, unsettled by it. Like, not just like, oh, she's like, she has a lot of rage. Like, they're really, at some points, you can tell they're worried that Amber is going to get physical with people. Like, she really is next level beyond just like the normal fighting that happens on these shows. Amber is out of control on this show. Like, her rage is out of control. Now, remember, this is like when her and Andrew met. <laughs> and people have always said they don't know how Andrew watched this whole season and then fell in love with her because she was so awful. But according to Andrew, and I, well, I don't know if Amber has changed her story since then. Andrew was just doing sound. So he didn't actually see, he would just like set up the microphones before filming. So he didn't actually see like her out of control behavior. And they really only met during her like wrap-up interview in which she talked about how much she had changed and how she had been through everything and felt so much better and that's when he was like oh wow she seems really cool and that's when I guess after that is when he contacted her via Twitter 
This is what they've always claimed. At the end of Marriage Boot Camp, there is an episode (laughs) where they say they go through every single moment of raw footage looking for any hint that Matt and Andrew even, or excuse me, Amber and Andrew even interacted, and they could not find one moment of it. Like, they do not have a single thing where Andrew and Amber are interacting beyond that last interview where Andrew claims is the first time he had really, like, heard about her. So... I will say at least like the evidence backs it up that they were not talking when she was in the house and that he was not like actively in the house when she was like flipping out. So who knows? Who knows what the truth is? So the episode that I watched is the childhood trauma episode, the first one. And Matt and Tanya, first of all, this is only six days in, but they just like pound out everything that they're doing all day. I guess I'm only going to talk about Matt and Amber. I didn't take, I took notes on everybody, but I really only should have taken notes on Matt and Amber. Um, Basically, this episode is where they break them into two groups and they get up and just like talk about their childhood trauma. I find this really irresponsible because this can be an incredibly triggering moment for people and you're really only supposed to do things like this in a very safe environment in which if you are flipped out, you can then spend, like in a therapeutic environment, Um, like when I was in rehab, we would sometimes have these like trauma exercises and then if you flipped out, you could like go lay on like the floor and stuffed animals for as long as you needed to um, and like be comforted. So it's a very weird it's it's just it's very dangerous I think what they're doing in this episode they have everybody um share their trauma and what Tanya shares is that she grew up with an alcoholic father who was extremely abusive he they had five kids and they would line the kids up and he would just like beat them with a belt like just beat the shit out of all of them when he was very drunk and her mother really really sad she promised herself that she would never be like that Amber's trauma is that her mom was an alcoholic and well I don't know if she says her mom's an alcoholic she says she drinks a lot and she's never really around Amber is also deeply upset that Tanya would hit her dad which I found to be very interesting because the doctors don't push back at all Well, do you feel like you're repeating what Tanya did? It's also interesting that Amber never, she almost never mentions her father during this, except in like a positive light or is the victim of um, Tanya. And we know that her father was like a very bad alcoholic um, until she was a teen and he got cirrhosis of the liver and got sober, but then still died of cirrhosis of the liver. So he was a very, very bad alcoholic. So I do find it interesting that Amber puts all of her trauma on her mom and not on her dad. I don't know if they did this choice-wise because her dad's not in the house and her mom is, but there's really no talk of her dad at all. At one point, apparently, Amber says that her... Also, they don't talk about the fact that Tanya had a baby die of SIDS when the baby was under a year, year old, which seems like that would be something important to talk about, but I guess they're only talking about their childhood and not their adult trauma, Um, I don't think that it comes up at all during this season that I can really remember, which is like bizarre because that seems like it'd be a very big thing. Amber also in this doesn't talk about the loss of her sister, at least not that they show us. Amber says that her, that her parents used to fight so loudly that her and her brother Bubby would choke each other until they passed out to go to bed. 
which was really, really, really upsetting. Um, When Amber was about 11 or 12, her mom basically just like moved out of their house and went to go live with her boyfriend. And this is when Amber was completely unsupervised and when she got into drugs, uh, which makes a ton of sense to me. Uh, She talks a lot about how upsetting it was to watch her mom hit her dad And it's very interesting to watch this because Amber is not able to make any sort of connection between her mom's behavior and her behavior, which is sad because it's like this is probably why you have behaved the way that you have. And if you could work on that, maybe you could break this cycle and get better. It's just it's weird to watch her talk so much about it because if you hear her talk about her own abuse, you know, the abuse that she has put on other people, it's like no big deal, no big deal, no big deal. But she acknowledges how horrible it was for her as a child. But she doesn't seem to understand that that is affecting her own children. Um, and it doesn't come up at all. I would like to see Amber on Marriage Bootcamp post Andrew and see what she has to say. I would be inter- I would be interested in a no holds barred, no holds barred, I don't know how you say that, but like a completely unedited take on what Amber says happens. So Amber talks about that. She talks about Amber once again says that she put herself in jail for her daughter. In this one, she even says, instead of drug court, I put myself in jail for my daughter. I made that decision. And I just am so sick of this narrative that she like she made the responsible choice to put herself in prison. First of all, no, you didn't. It is never the best option for a child for their parent to go to prison, right? It just isn't. Amber put herself in prison because she knew she was not going to be able to successfully complete drug court. And what drug court is, it's like a high, high, high level of probation. Um, When you are on drug court, you get drug tested multiple times a week. You have to go into like, you have to go to a certain amount of recovery meetings a week. You have to be like in counseling. You have to go in front of, usually it's like a judge that runs a drug court program and probably a probation officer. And you have to go in front of the judge regularly. Um, It is, you're usually on it for about a year. And people who graduate from drug court are usually actually pretty successful with staying sober because it's such a highly controlled environment with a lot of support networks. But the consequences for fucking up on drug court are very high. And if you fail drug court, you will have to go to prison. I mean, it depends on your original sentence. But if Amber failed drug court, she would probably have had to go do her entire five years in prison because that was her sentence. But instead, Amber chose to go to prison, not even try drug court, And she was only there for 16 months because she decided to take the less prison time than have to be on drug court, which is a thing that people do because they know they won't be able to be successful in drug court. So they may as well just go and get their prison time out of the way and then they leave and they don't have to deal with this high level of probation ever. I think it was probably the right choice for Amber because she could not stay sober and drug court, I don't think would have helped her because she could not stay sober. Um, But it was not the brave choice that she wants us to believe it was. She really like wants us to believe that she sacrificed for her daughter by going to prison. And to that I say, boo. I'm like so sick of that narrative. I really am. You know, getting sober is like the bare bare minimum you need to do for your child. And it's good that she was able to stop her opiate addiction. Um, That is good. But 
obviously she didn't learn that much in prison based on her all of her post-prison behavior. And this idea that she was making some some great sacrifice is just bullshit. If she was really sacrificing for her daughter, she would have done whatever she could to get clean and do drug court so she could still see her child uh, once a week or however often she was allowed to see her. She didn't see Leah the entire time she was in jail and she was there for 15 months. So I don't know how one could argue that that was the braver, more responsible choice um, than actually being on drug court and successfully completing drug court. So that's just my thoughts on that. So Amber brings that up, how she did that. And she just talks a lot about her childhood trauma of being abused by her mom and her mom abusing her dad. So then Matt shares, Matt is like flipping out the whole time that this is about to happen. And then Matt shares that he was um, raped as a child and he told his dad immediately after it happened and his dad didn't do anything, which was really, really, really sad. Um, The thing is, I hate to say this, like, I don't know what is true and what is not when Matt says it. I, okay, there's this thing. Have we talked about this on the podcast? I, I must have at some point. Matt, in a couple years before Matt met Amber, he had gotten in talk with, uh, gotten in contact with this woman. I believe her name was Judy. I can't remember what her full name is, but she had been on Oprah at one point and like Dr. Phil as an advocate for children who have been sexually assaulted. I believe both of her children were sexually assaulted and then she became like an advocate for children that are sexually assaulted. I don't know exactly what that means and like exactly what work she does, but she does do this work. So Matt had contacted her and had told her that he had been sexually assaulted and basically had gotten himself invited to her home where he stayed for a significant amount of time, I think six months to a year. And when he was there, he wrote a book about his childhood sexual assault. She claims that they were never a couple I don't think I really believe that because I think it's very weird that you would like let him come live in your house. Um, She didn't find out that Matt was with Amber until she like saw him on TV. And then she started tweeting and was like, what the fuck? This guy is a scammer. She kicked him out because she I think eventually he stole from her or something came up in which she figured out he was like a con artist. Um, She has also said that the entire time he was there, he never mentioned having a drug or alcohol problem. Um, And she was saying, I think he made that up to get with Amber, which is what I think. And that his thing with me was the childhood sexual assault. So when he was living with her, he wrote this book called Guys Don't Rat, I think it's called, that was re-released, if you all remember, when he was with Amber, obviously, because then he finally had, I think he like self-published it on Amazon first, and then he re-released it because suddenly he was famous. Um, I don't know how true any of that is. I mean, I think it would explain a lot of his behavior, so it is easy for me to believe that it happened. Um, I think Matt having a very traumatic childhood... (laughs) would explain his adult behavior, right? Like that to me tracks. I just don't know what's true and what's not when Matt talks. Um, So Matt shares this happened. It's very upsetting. Jim Jones cries, actually. He cries hearing it because he 
has a son and he just can't imagine not doing anything and just ignoring it. Matt says that he told his father right away and his father just like never mentioned it again. Um, And shortly after his parents divorced and his dad was just like completely out of the picture. And apparently they found out that his dad had two other children that they didn't know about. And Matt's like, well, you know, (laughs) that explains some things. (laughs) So fucked up. Um, So, yeah, I don't know what's true and what's not, but I will say If we believe this to be true, it is nice of Matt that he shared all this and brave of Matt, I guess, to share all this. The weird thing is that he's kind of acting like it's the first time he ever talked about it. And I was like, he wrote an entire book about this as far as I remember. Like, I knew about this before he was on marriage boot camp, like way before he was on marriage boot camp. Um, Also, okay, so the next thing they do is they bring in little children actors to play the cast and like recite the things that they said, which is really horrific, but very funny to watch. It's just very like bizarre to watch it. And Amber, of course, mentions, you know, her mom leaving her and beating up her dad and the thing with the choking. Um, Tanya's talks about her dad being abusive and being an alcoholic and then Matt's talks about the time he was assaulted. That's actually when Jim cries, which is, I, I don't know. I, I really like Jim Jones. <laughs> I really like him on this show. That is when he cries um, because he's just very upset. And then Matt says, child actor Matt has this story about his dad is at a bat, a baseball tryout of his, but he goes, like, he's not there. So Matt goes to find him and finds him in the parking lot, like, having sex with a woman in a red dress. And Matt's like, they read my book. They read my book. Oh, my God. They read my book. And this is when I was like, Matt, this is bullshit. Like, you knew they were going to read your book. Like, that's the point of this show. Like, you knew this was going to come out. That's why I think this is so bizarre, because he, like, knows he's going on a therapy show, but he wrote an entire book detailing all of the maybe, maybe not trauma he had in his life. And then he's acting like it's crazy that he, that this is even coming up. It's just weird to watch. Like, I think if you watch this without context, it would be very moving. But with the context of Matt, it's very weird. I will say everybody was very receptive to Matt in this. Matt had not been the most popular person in the house. He and Brandy's father, Guy, had gotten along very well. But in general, I think people found Matt to be a liar. They, um, the stuff Amber would say about him was obviously very upsetting and people just like, they, they thought Matt was a con artist, but they were all very believing of his story and gave Matt a lot of empathy. And all of them talked about how brave he was. And yeah, if it's true, it's brave. I just, I just don't know what to believe when it comes to Matt. And I think if I never knew about the fact that he was trying to marry or get with or, have her take care of him, a child sexual assault advocate, and that's when he wrote the book talking about this, I would be much more willing to believe it. But it it all goes into his conning, right? And unfortunately, that's the problem with being a compulsive liar is that you don't know when to believe someone or not. So it's very, it's touching, I guess. It's sad. Amber is like very proud of Matt for sharing this because they, they split them into two groups and Amber and Matt weren't in the same group. And Amber afterwards is like, I'm so proud of you. She like cuddles up on him. She even says like, she asks her mom, she's like, did did Matt share about the thing? And her mom's like, yeah. And she's like, oh my God, I'm so happy that he did that. 
And it like that little segment ends on like kind of a good note. However, Matt is like flipped out over this, um, this experiment. He felt it was very hard and upsetting. It actually flipped like everybody out um, because <laughs> they had child Jim come in and talk about my, finding his mom in a crack house. And Nancy flips out. Nancy was addicted to crack in the 80s and has since been sober for quite a while. But Nancy's like, I was never in no crack houses. That never happened. And Jim is like, well, you know, I like, I didn't find her in any crack houses. And then <laughs> Dr. Ish is like, okay, but like you told me you did. And Jim's like, no, 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 no. And then they literally show footage of Jim talking to camera being like, you know, and it's hard as a kid when you have to chase your mom into crack houses. <laughs> So that was like kind of sad and funny. Um, but this was the experiment that really like got everybody flipped the fuck out. I say experiment, but the therapy session. But this is what I mean. It felt very irresponsible to do something that was so serious um, and like actually really could trigger people into a really bad emotional state that I don't believe Dr. Ish and Dr. V and We TV would be able to correctly handle. And I think they really could have triggered a lot of scary things to happen. So after this, Matt like goes for a walk to decompress and he's just like really, he's really upset. And the episode ends and this is why I decided to then watch the next episode because the episode ends with Amber trying to get into bed with Matt. Oh, another thing about the show is that they make the rooms, <laughs> they design the rooms based on your issues. So like Brandy and Guy are in one room and... <laughs> Brandy and Guy are in one room and they like cover the walls with like her Playboy pictures. <laughs> Jim, Chrissy, and Mama are in a room with a huge bed where they're all supposed to sleep in the same bed. Then they like bring in another bed for Mama, I believe. Um, That's their thing. In Jen, Lana, and uh, Renee's room, there's like one huge, beautiful king-size bed and then two little twin beds where they're supposed to like fight over who gets the, the best bed. And then in Matt, Amber's, and Tanya's room... <laughs> They made it a nursery. <laughs> and so they're sleeping in these adult-sized cribs, <laughs> which really adds to this all. So Amber, like, tries to get into bed with Matt. And Matt's like, Amber, I love you, but I'm, like, really worn out from this day. Today was really upsetting. I'm really tired, and I just don't want to cuddle. I really just want to go to sleep. I really do. And Amber flips out. She's like, I'm so fucking sick and tired of being in this house with Matt. She's like, fuck you, fuck you. And Matt's like, Amber, please, please leave me alone. And Amber's like, turn up. She's really fucking mad. Really fucking mad. And that's how the episode ends. And I was like, okay, great. Matt and Amber are escalating. So I'm going to watch the next episode. The main exercise in the next episode is that they all get these paddles. And they're going to write on the paddles the things they hate about themselves. Then they're going to beat... <laughs> beat a punching bag with the paddle to kind of like beat the things they hate about themselves out. Um, and then they're going to burn the paddles eventually. I will say that like the burning thing is definitely something that I would like that happened in rehab a lot where you would like write your worst features about yourself and then you would burn it to like let them go or like write down traumas then you would burn it to let them go. So that's definitely like a very real thing. But you know, I, I don't know. So Amber starts the episode talking to Brandy and Amber says she has no friends that are girls because she hates all women. <laughs> 
Brandy asks Amber if Matt is just there for the cameras. She's like, you know, I can't really figure out Matt. Like, do you think he's just there for the cameras? And Amber's like, you know, I love Matt. I think he's such a great guy. I just wish she went about doing things in a different way. And I can't live without him. And Brandy gives a talking head where she's like, I don't understand anything about Matt and Amber. (laughs) She's like, they're both addicts. They're both liars. And they both are addicted to each other. Brandy's like, you know, look, I don't really understand how you trust Matt because once you're a liar, like I think you're always a liar because you know how Brandy's thing about lying, which it's funny to watch this knowing what's playing out on Real Housewives Beverly Hills this season. And Amber gets mad about it. She starts to flip out. She's like, as a woman, like, I don't respect that. Like, don't talk about my man like that. And so she's kind of like pissed. Like she's Pissed by Brandy. So she goes to go find Matt because she's like, where is Matt? Where is Matt anyway? And Matt is upstairs laying in the bed and he's like, Amber, I just don't feel well. And she's like, what the fuck, Matt? What the fuck? You've been doing this whole time. Why have you been doing this? You just disappear for me. You just disappear for me. Now, remember, Amber spent a lot of these seven days so far in bed. So for Amber to say this is very weird because Amber spent most of this time in bed, you know, as Amber is one to do. So she's like, how dare you? What the fuck? And Matt is just like, Amber, I don't feel well. Like you didn't feel well and you laid in bed and it was fine and I just want to feel well. And Amber is like, you know, fuck you. I comforted you yesterday and I don't want to like and now you don't want to be with me. And he's like, you only comforted me because the cameras were there, which she, of course, flipped the fuck out about it. Amber is very triggered by anybody telling her that she only does things because the cameras are there. Amber goes right into his face, like does her thing. You know, we've seen it where she storms into his face. The best thing about this is this is that like washed out blonde with the dark roots top knot Amber where she would look especially crazy when she raged and she has her finger in his face and she's like talk to me again like that bitch fuck those cameras if I ever hear you call me a liar one more fucking time I swear to fucking god I swear to fucking god I swear to god on my daughter I will kill you now this is really interesting to watch her level of rage is genuinely scary to me It's really upsetting. The way she is speaking is really upsetting. And it reminded me a lot of the Andrew tapes. Now, if you'll remember from the Andrew leaked tapes, in a lot of them, Amber is blaming Andrew for his behavior. And I think a lot of people people heard that and like took that to heart. Um, In it, she's like, at one point she says, Andrew lied about having a vasectomy to get her pregnant, which... I don't even know if I believe she says that Andrew is doing this, that and the other thing to like make her flip out. And I think a lot of people are like, well, Andrew is instigating this to get her on camera. But if you go back and watch this, you realize how quickly Amber goes from zero to 100 and completely blames that on the person that she's flipping out on. It just really brought me back to those moments in the the Andrew and Amber tapes where she would be completely blaming him for everything that she was saying And it's like, oh, yeah, because this is what she does because she's an abuser. By the way, remember when she was yelling at him and telling him he looked like a fucking old person in that sweater? (laughs) She loves to call a man a bitch. She loves to swear to kill them. I think that if it gets to the point where you are telling your partner you will kill them, not in a funny way, but in a very serious way that I will kill you, is that that's scary. That's abuse. That's scary. 
And Matt goes just very calmly. He goes, the thought of spending another day with you is stomach churning. (laughs) I don't mean to defend Matt here because Matt is not a good person either. And I think I've talked about that, that I think they were probably mutually abusive to each other. One of the rare relationships in which it was mutually abusive. I think that Matt gave it as good as he got it. And the same for Amber. I think that they were probably two of the most toxic people to ever be in a relationship together. I think that it's rare that there's a mutually abusive relationship. I think sometimes we see what looks like a mutually abusive relationship. But really what we're seeing is a victim that has been like pushed to the edge. So then they become violent too. I think that's actually more like that's more common than a true mutually abusive relationship. Um, Oftentimes a victim will resort to violence because that's just how toxic the relationship is and that's how they've been treated and they finally start to react. And that's when we see it and then we think, oh my God, well, she's or he's abusive too. But that's usually, it's usually just not the case. But I do believe Matt and Amber were probably mutually, physically and emotionally abusive to one another. So Amber's like, okay, so why do you keep trying to fuck me in the bathroom? Why do you keep trying to fuck me in the bathroom? Because I guess there aren't cameras in the bathroom. So that's probably where they were having sex. And Matt's like, oh, my God. And she just says it over and over again. Why do you keep trying to fuck me in the bathroom? Why do you keep trying to fuck me in the bathroom? Then Amber goes in on that. Don't make me. Don't make me tell what you've done. I haven't brought up half the shit you've done. And Matt is so calm. And he goes, okay, bring it up. And this is why I'm very sure that it's mutually abusive and that Matt had a lot, just as much on Amber as she had on him, because I think Matt knew there was mutually uh, assured destruction there. I think Matt knew that if Amber brought up Matt hit me, he could bring up, well, you know, she hit me for the first, she hit me first. She was the first one to get violent. Um, She held me down and punched me in the face. And then I, you know, then we started fighting. Like, I think that Matt was not really scared of it coming out that whatever shit he did to her, I think that he knew that the shit that Amber did to him was just as bad. So he was like, well, if she brings me down and my reputation is already shit, I'm just going to pull her down with me. So let her say all of this, right? Like he went on to marriage boot camp knowing their entire history of the relationship and knowing how volatile Amber is and still was willing to go on that show and put that out there and knowing that if she brought anything up, it would get on TV. So I think that he definitely had like, he had his own, nuclear bomb right he had his own a-bomb where he was like okay tell I'll tell him what you did I bet he had a lot of information on drugs with her like I think that he really was like I mean feel free I'll just tell I mean don't forget those pictures that he sent to that girl that one time where he was just like covered in scratches and bruises from Amber um instead it was from Amber and then when they leaked he was like no no those are from those are so old I was beat up by somebody after a poker game those aren't that's not about Amber but like of course it was from Amber right of course because you mean to tell me that Amber beat the shit out of Gary Amber beat the shit out of Andrew but didn't beat the shit out of Matt please (laughs) please I just believe that in that case Matt hit her too I like it's so sad and it's so toxic and it's so scary um, and I mean, thank God they're not together anymore. Right. So Amber's or Matt's like, go ahead. Go ahead. That's fine. That's fine. And Amber's like, go fuck yourself. And so Matt's laying upstairs and they're down for the group. And Amber's like, Matt's little bitch. He won't come down here. He's in bed being sick. And the doctor's like, 
okay, like, so why don't you go get him from your, like, go get him. Like, he got you when you were sick. And she's like, go get him? How the fuck am I supposed to get him? And starts screaming. And Dr. V is like, here's the thing. If you're not raging at your mom, then you're raging at Matt. And if you're not raging at either one of them, you're raging at us. And Amber's like, fuck you. That's not true. (laughs) Proving her point, right? And Dr. V is like, I know that this is how you are at home. And Amber loses her mind. How dare you say that? I am nothing like this at home. You don't know me. And Dr. V's like, yeah, I do. Because if you act like this here, why wouldn't you act like this at home? You're always like this. Um, it was just very true. Then they do talking heads of like the other couples who were like, Amber's terrifying. Um, her rage really scares me. And the fact that she just got that flipped out over nothing was really upsetting, basically, is their general consensus of it. Um, so Guy at one point like starts to kind of stick up for Matt, and then Amber snaps at Guy, and Brandy's like, oh fuck no. Brandy very much has a mentality of, like, I can beat up my dad, but you can't. And so Brandy's like, don't talk to my fucking dad like that. Don't. And that's when, like, the doctors kind of have to defuse the situation because it's not just Amber flipping out. Brandy's now in it. And Amber's screaming that Matt brings out the worst version of herself. The Graziano sisters and a talking head are like, you know, Amber blames all of her behavior on Matt, but, like, she's like this all the time. They're like, when Matt's not around, she's doing this. She's responding like this to other people. It doesn't seem to have anything to do with Matt. Everyone in this house has, like, clocked the extreme anger and rage that uh, Amber has. And they've all clocked that Amber takes no responsibility for it. And so finally, Matt comes down. You know, the doctors do say you were being disrespectful by not being here. And Matt kind of apologized for it. Then they go into their two groups where they do the wooden paddles. Matt's like, well, I'll need four paddles because I hate everything about myself. This was a hard exercise for a lot of the group for some reason. I'm not quite sure why you would think that it wouldn't be that hard, but it was. Um, Tanya refuses to participate. She just refuses. A couple other people refuse to participate as well. Jim only writes down one or two things. Um, Mama Nancy refuses because she says that the past doesn't impact her at all and there's no use in talking about the past. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) that seems not right, but okay. Um, Although when it gets to the point where they are hitting the punching bag, even though Jim did write down like one or two things, he refuses to do that. And I actually do want to talk about this really quick because I thought this was very interesting. Uh, Jim goes, I'm angry. He's like, I'm an angry person. I'm either like really upset or I'm really angry. So why would I stand up and start hitting something? He's like, that's just going to make me angrier. And I was like, God damn it, Jim. Okay, self-awareness. Now, maybe he just didn't want to do the exercise, but he's actually completely right. Um, There's this false idea that people with anger issues should be doing um, like physically violent things as a release, right? Like you hear this all the time. Like if you have anger issues, you should go to boxing because then you're channeling your rage. But actually studies prove that it's pretty much the opposite, that if you are a person that is violent and angry, you don't actually channel the rage and release it in a half healthy way when you start to do physically violent things. What you're doing is like you're engaging in it and um, just making it flourish more. <laughs> so it's actually not a good idea for people who have raged, like then go channel it in boxing. Uh, it doesn't help. 
And I thought it was just really interesting that Jim recognized that. So Tanya says that she doesn't want to write anything on the paddle because she has been beaten down too much and she doesn't hate herself, which I actually thought was interesting. I thought that was kind of an interesting argument, if you will. Um, I think they could have reframed it to be like, what are the things that you would like to let go of? I think eventually they do. I think they didn't need to say like, I think they could have validated her and acknowledged what she was saying and be like, you know what? That's good. Like, I, that's fine. I understand exactly what you're saying. So instead of hating yourself, like, how about you write some things that you want to work on instead or some things that you would like to add to your life or things that you want to get better at? Like, I think that they could have turned it into a positive mission for Tanya. But like I said, this is actually not a therapeutic environment and they just wanted to trigger Tanya into getting upset and having some sort of fight, right? So Matt is really, because Matt and Tanya are in one room and then Amber's in the other, I think. Yeah, and Matt's really upset that Tanya won't participate in it. He thinks it's bullshit. He's like, this is bullshit. Um, Amber also refuses to participate. She says, fuck this drill. This is bullshit. And she's screaming about it and just won't do it. Matt liked the exercise. He wrote down all the things he hated. He slammed the bag. He was like, that felt great. I was glad to talk about it. (laughs) I just am so, when I watch these, I'm like, I like Matt. Because Amber's so out of control that I'm like, okay, I actually like Matt. He participates. He talks about himself. He's willing to like share. He's enjoyable to watch on this show. <laughs> he just is. Um. So then they go, Matt and Amber, or Matt and Brandy after this, like in between doing this, they go to the burning thing later. They have a little downtime. And Brandy and Matt are talking and Matt's like, Amber is crazy. Like, I cannot be with her. And Brandy's like, yep, she has terrible anger issues. And then at the same time, Amber is uh, venting to Mama Nancy, Lana, and Tanya, her mom. And Amber's like, Matt hasn't been around. He's, he makes me so angry. This is all his fault. And Nancy's like, no, 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 no. This is, no. Nope. She goes, it's a two-way street, baby. And Amber loses her mind. She starts to flip out and they basically shut down the fight. By the way, there was really one funny scene that I wanted to share that during her childhood trauma, Brandy was talking about a time her dad hit her when she flipped out. And then they flipped to the Jones family, all three of them. (laughs) They're laughing. And Mama goes, oh, God, she's lucky she just got a slap. And Chrissy's like, as rebellious as she is now as an adult, imagine how awful she was as a teen. It was like, obviously it's like condoning child abuse, which is not good, but it's just a really, that's why the show is funny. Like the lighthearted family always makes me laugh. And that's what this family was. That's what the Jones family is. And just them being like, who could blame Guy? Brandy's awful. <laughs> Oh, so yeah, Nancy shuts down Amber and Amber is not pleased with it. Okay, so then we get a scene where Dr. Ish goes to talk to Matt. Um, first of all, Dr. Ish has decided that the reason that Matt is a pathological liar is because when his dad did not listen to when he told the truth, Matt decided he did not need to tell the truth anymore. I mean, I guess. Okay, sure. Um, Matt and Dr. Ish are talking and Matt basically is like, I love Amber. I have no doubt about that, but she calls me names that are not factually accurate and I just can't be here with her anymore. And 
this is when they talk about her borderline personality disorder. And, you know, it's just, I was like, God, this is so irresponsible. So we go to the fire burning event and it starts with Amber reading the things that she wants to hate about herself or that she hates about herself that she's going to burn. For, and she's also mad that Tanya didn't participate in this because Amber really wants Tanya to take accountability for her childhood, which fair enough, right? Most children that are victims of like abuse from their parents want their parents to acknowledge it and validate it. And it's really hard to move on with your life when they won't do that. Um, but unfortunately, most kids that were abused don't get that. And you have to do the work yourself to work on moving forward without them validating your feelings. I was very lucky that my parents got sober and validated that, but it's still not perfect. And there are still things that they don't really want to acknowledge. And it's hard, but I can't rely on somebody else to make me happy, right? And to validate my feelings. That has to come from inside. So Amber reads off the things that she hates her about herself, which is can't stay away from unhealthy men, can't stop being used, fuck this girl, and fuck liars. <laughs> uh, that's her list. And Matt's like, that's a cop out. And Amber's like, I don't give a fuck what you think. The Dr. V is like, now her feelings are valid because all feelings are valid. But I think that Matt is upset because you're not talking about any things that you've done on your own and it's all about what other people did to you and this is about to be things that like you do and Amber goes well that's 100% right those are the only things that I hate about myself what other people do I mean if I've ever seen a, a Amber moment summed up better than that I don't think so like that's Amber that because she's an abuser because Amber will not admit that there's anything wrong with her and everything she does is somebody else's fault. And that, her saying that needs to be put in, like, you need to remember that when you are listening to her, uh, like, blame Andrew for shit. And this is not me saying Andrew is perfect, right? I'm not saying Andrew is perfect. I don't know what went on between them. But hearing the way that she blames Matt for every single thing that she has ever done in her life, you know that we she blamed Gary for her hitting Gary, and so, like, I believe that she did that with Andrew, and that's what she was doing. So Matt is actually, Matt's is pretty good. He wants to stop lying. He wants to be a better person. Like, the things that he wants for himself are, like, I thought very appropriate and, like, the type of thing that you are supposed to say in an exercise like this as somebody who has done an exercise like this. And Matt's like, you're a fucking, or Amber's like, Matt, you're a fucking victim. You brought everything on yourself. <laughs> oh, she's like, there he goes. There he goes. The victim, the victim. But like the point of this is that you talk about the stuff like that, like you talk about yourself as a victim in these because the point is that you're going to let that stuff go and then you're going to overcome it. Oh, she's like, you better change before. He's like, I, and I just want to change because I don't know if I explained this. On one side, you heard all the things you hate about yourself. And then on the other side, you write about the things that you want and like you want to do to get better. And Matt's like, I just want to change. And Amber's like, well, you better change before it's too late. <laughs> At this point, they flash to Brandy who says, I think that they needed to take away Amber's paddle because I was worried that Amber was going to start hitting Andrew or hitting Matt with it. Oh. Ooh, just like her total refusal to take any accountability whatsoever is just so, it's so awful. Then they do this thing where they talk about what they want for the other person. So Amber's thing for Tanya is that she wants Tanya to stop feeling so guilty. 
Which is true. Although there is a scene where Tanya is explaining what it was like to have two young kids and be trapped in a marriage, which I'm sure is how she felt. And that guy was a very bad alcoholic. And Amber's like, stop. You weren't trapped. You weren't trapped. But it's like, I think she probably was. So Amber says she wants Tanya to stop feeling guilty, but I think that's not actually true. And she just wants Tanya to like only feel guilty the way that Amber wants her to feel guilty. And uh, for Matt, he says that, or for Matt, she says that he needs to stop lying and playing the victim and learn how to love sincerely, which is fair enough, I guess. The playing the victim thing, I don't know. The lying and loving sincerely, sure, I agree with that. And Matt goes, okay, I'll take that under advisement. Kind of in a snappy tone, but like not, not that fucked up. And Amber's like, I didn't fucking ask you to. <sighs> she go, Then she goes back to her, there's... A ton of shit I could say, but I won't fucking say it. But don't make me say it. And Matt goes, so fucking say it. He goes, we've got all night. We're here all night. Just say it. (laughs) Because once again, I know that Matt or that Matt is pushing Amber to say it because then he'll be able to say his shit about her. (laughs) But he wants to keep that leverage. Matt's not stupid. Matt needs to keep that leverage until he needs it. And he still has that shit in his back pocket. He still hasn't come out with the worst of the worst. I'm sure of it. Maybe he'll want to blackmail Amber in 10 years for it. You know, maybe he'll need some money. I could see that. So Amber's like, don't fuck with me. Fuck you. And Matt says, the change I would like to see for Amber is anger, 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 anger. Chrissy's like, it's very interesting to watch Matt and Amber just destroy one another. (laughs) Amber is back to saying, like, I tried to give you a fucking family. And Matt's like, well, I didn't want that family. Amber is waving the paddle like she's going to hit him. And then she says, thank you for ruining my last three years when I could have been a better person instead of you taking my fucking money. (laughs) And Matt goes, I'm the victim. Yeah. That's me. That's the victim. (laughs) And this is when Brandy says, look, I know Matt is a trash bag. Like, I know Matt is a loser. Like, well, she didn't say trash bag. Amber says that. She's like, I know everything Matt did is not okay. But like, there's no way he did anything bad enough to justify the way that Amber treats him, which is kind of where I land, right? Like, Amber... It does not matter how bad Amber is being treated. Like, she's still not allowed to behave the way that she behaves. But I also don't believe that usually her significant others are the instigator of her bad behavior. Um, I think that she picks men that they feed into each other's toxicity. And that once she starts being abusive, they start being abusive back. And then it's just a shit show. Um, And Amber ends episode telling us that there's no woman that has ever been in his face She says to Matt, no woman has ever been in your face to tell you what you are. A fucking trash bag. I mean, what a beautiful way to end it. (laughs) It's just so interesting to watch. It's so interesting to watch. I'm really, it was really fun to do this. If you guys haven't watched it, like I said, I definitely suggest watching it. It's funny, honestly. It's silly and it's very stupid. And Amber is quite a sight to behold. So yeah, that's it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. I love ya. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Solid Listen Network. Find me on Instagram at feathers underscore pod.